I'm not a wine connoisseur, and I'm not even sure that, like the head waiter, I can distinguish easily between a superior and an inferior type of wine. I do have my preferences. Uh, I enjoy dry rather than sweet wines, and I prefer red to white. I'm in agreement with uh, someone who once told me that white wine is for people who don't like wine. But my enjoyment of wine is rarely actually about the wine itself. As I said, I can't really distinguish between the good and the bad so much. But normally when we drink wine, we do it together. And it is a sign of conviviality, the joy and relaxed confidence of friendship and warm-heartedness. The ancients would have referred to this experience of conviviality as beatitude, blessedness, the sense that everything is right. It's a tranquility of order shared with others. On the other hand, uh, if we turn to another theme that comes up in today's gospel, I'm afraid that weddings conjure up all kinds of other more ambivalent feelings for most of us. Uh, as someone who was best man more than once before I entered the monastery, uh, I can still feel dread welling up in me when I think about having to remember where I put the rings uh, or what I'm going to say for the toast at dinner afterward. But we should work against the modern, spectacular sense of weddings. You know, weddings are these uh, very fraught occasions uh, where we have to make a good impression on everybody. Perhaps if we could try to use our imagination to place ourselves again in an earlier age, uh, a time when weddings were more obviously symbolic celebrations of life and hope and of the sharing of life, not just between two individuals, but really between two families. And so it's a celebration of the building up of a whole order of a community, a stable order, an order in which we can experience peace joy and confidence. So wine served at a wedding only makes sense in this context. Now every time we gather together at the liturgy, we are celebrating a wedding. And in the afterglow of the Christmas season, it's good to remember just what kind of wedding this is. This is the union of the divine and human natures in the person of Jesus Christ and also our own divinization, the union of God's life with us. The Holy Spirit poured into our hearts at baptism, and then Christ, our divine nourishment, given to us as food. The celebration, again, should very naturally bring about a sense of peace and confidence and joy, fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, uh, we don't spend all of our day celebrating the liturgy. Not even we monks do that. And so we arrive at these celebrations uh, with all kinds of concerns, myriad events of life that don't quite go as we want them to, sometimes even events that go disastrously. And we find ourselves oftentimes embarrassingly short on supplies of virtue, uh, the, the capabilities, the resources to deal with setbacks in life. We're unprepared for the unexpected demands, the press of, of too many guests showing up. 
So our provisions of patience and good humor, forgiveness, acceptance, hope, sometimes these run out. And we get to the end of our resources and we lose our temper or we pout and sulk and fret. We have no wine, so to speak. Certainly in the church today, uh, there is plenty of fretting. There's plenty of accusation and impatience, a lack of confidence. And that in itself, I want to say, is not necessarily the biggest of problems. At least it's no more a problem than the lack of wine at the wedding at today's gospel. It's a problem, perhaps, but not at all an insurmountable one. It seems to me the real problem usually comes in the way we go about the solution, or how we think of the solution, how we go uh, prepare for uh, trying to fix the, uh, the problem. And so we look at aging clergy and diminished numbers in religious life, and often our first impulse is to form some kind of study commission, uh, to work at better advertising campaigns, to recruit people to these. These are sorts of worldly solutions. They're not necessarily wrong-headed in and of themselves, uh, but they seem to put a lot of the pressure on us. Uh, we look around for resources that, again, we don't really seem to have. We see the difficulties in family life, threats to religious freedom, and we produce DVDs and write letters to our congresspersons and convene a symposium at the local university. And again, all of these are not necessarily the wrong tack, uh, but they are merely human measures to some extent. They're the things we can use to solve any problem. So without neglecting these avenues, uh, we can ask ourselves how many of us follow the example of our Lord's mother and just say, Lord Jesus, I haven't any wine, and neither has anybody else I know. Now, it might not yet be his hour to manifest his greatness. You know, he makes even his mother wait. Not very long, apparently, but uh, we may have to wait. But something else takes place during the waiting because Mary goes to the servers and has this very important line, do whatever he tells you. These are the ministers of the banquet, so this might apply more to the clergy than, than the rest, but let's all take it to heart. Her instruction is important. Do whatever he tells you. And the point of obedience in life, of trying to live life according to God's commandments, is not always immediately obvious. Uh, but if the servers don't pour that water into those jars, then there's no miracle. This is important. The pouring of the water doesn't have any appearance of the miraculous. It's just what they're supposed to do anyway. Obviously, there are more guests than they were expecting, and so they need more water than they had prepared so that the guests can clean up before they eat. Uh, but it's not miraculous, putting water in jars. It is humble obedience to the normal courtesies of life, making sure that the guests can wash up. So we could extend this humble acceptance of the duties of companionship and hospitality into all areas of our life, whether it's taking out the garbage or mopping the floor, answering phone calls, putting in an honest day of work, uh, maybe working overtime, whatever field of work we're in. None of this is in itself miraculous, but if we are doing it out of a response to the Lord asking us to do it, if we do it out of a sense of obedience and acceptance of God's will in our life, then we, we don't know what kind of miracle is possible. 
If we accept God's will, then there is at least material for the Holy Spirit to work with in our life. There is material with which Christ can produce the wine of peace and confidence. Signs of the kingdom of God in our midst. These little signs of Christ's inbreaking glory. We can see this water for cleansing in another way, too, which is a, a similar way. What we monks would call the ascetical life or penance. As we have a lot of young people here, so I should say, when I talk about penance, I don't mean sort of beating oneself up and saying, oh, I'm no good, I'm no good, but rather practicing for the good things of life. You know, if you want to win the basketball tournament, you have to practice your free throws. You have to practice dribbling, right? You have to practice plays. Uh, this in itself might not be fun sometimes, but if you don't practice, you're not going to win, <laughs> you know? So it's important that we prepare ourselves for life by practicing. So, prayer, fasting, silence, simplicity of life, these are tools given to us by the church to cleanse away the tarnish that accumulates in our lives from undisciplined eating and talking and surfing the internet and arguing and feeling sorry for ourselves, letting feelings of resentment stew away in our hearts. How can we enjoy ourselves at a wedding feast if we don't shower ahead of time and put on decent clothes, you know? How can we welcome the, with peace and joy the Holy Spirit in our midst if we don't use prayer and silence and other forms of discipline to sort of clean ourselves up for the Supper of the Lamb? And remember, again, it's not the practice of penance itself that brings joy, just as it's not the water that is drawn out of the jar that the head waiter praises. Rather, in a mysterious way, the Holy Spirit begins to change our life, begins to change our hearts as we grow in virtue. And in the words of our founder, St. Benedict, our hearts expand, and the tasks of life that we used to dread having to do uh, become suddenly effortless one day. They become opportunities to encounter Christ's glory, even, hidden under the humble events of everyday life just as we encounter Christ's love today, hidden under humble signs of bread and wine.